Would you turn with me in your Bible over to Luke chapter 14? Luke chapter 14. We're going to read the words of Jesus in Luke 14, and we're going to read verses 25 through 35. I'll give you just a second. I hear the rustling of pages, which is a pleasant sound to my ears. Luke 14. And verse 25, now great crowds accompanied him and he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and has not been able to finish, all who see it will begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears, let him hear. So what if Jesus was serious when he said all of that? And I know it's a rhetorical question because we want to say, well, of course Jesus was serious, right? I mean, that's how we're all answering. And you may even be questioning the theme of this series. What do you mean? Of course Jesus was serious. But the deeper question is that if we really believe that Jesus indeed was serious when he said certain things, does our lifestyle and our decisions and our priority reflect that we think Jesus was serious? Because I don't know about you, but at home, my dad had a look, right? His eyes grow like three times larger than they actually are. And he says your full name and there's this tone that he hits and it would be like, Derek Robert Armstrong, you get here now. And it's just like, he was serious. I didn't mess around. I didn't mess around with dad because I knew he was for real, right? And when I read the words of Christ and I hear something that's challenging, I hear something that's difficult. I hear something that's hard, I go, wow, that's, that's really difficult. I don't know if I like that, as if it were up to me to decide whether or not I wanted to follow. Jesus makes it very clear here. He is very serious, and we know that. And I know that we all want to answer, of course, Jesus was serious, but do our values reflect that answer? You see, Jonah knew that there was a cost also. Jonah knew that there was a cost to being a prophet, he understood what all was required of him. He had prophesied before. He had been called by God to deliver messages before. And so Jonah was this likely figure who had been used by God many times before. And he had thought, much like you and I, that he was taking God seriously. He thought that he was fully devoted. He thought he had really given his life to God. He thought that he was really committed and he was able to look back on his track record almost as proof of his level of commitment. And you and I often will do the same thing like what Jonah did. 
the exact same thing. We'll go, well, I know that I really understand the cost of being a disciple of Jesus because I've done these things. And we began to kind of pull out our proverbial trophy case or we began to read off to God our long list of good deeds or even better, the things we haven't done that other people we know have done, right? And we can read those things off and feel accomplished. Well, at least I haven't done this, 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 and this, and I have done this and this. And so in our own summation, we get really comfortable thinking that we understand the cost and we think we're taking Jesus seriously. But I want us to take a step back and ask ourselves if we really understand that cost because we all have a line of how far we would go. Jonah had a line, and theoretically all of us have a line of how far we're willing to go because it's like, you know, this idea of, you know, I would do anything for love, but I won't do that, right? I know you didn't know I could do that. <laughs> Every one of us has a line of things we would do. How far will we go? Like what line will we not cross? And we all think in our own minds when we feel like we're pretty good, we think we don't have a line. We all think that we'll just do anything for God. Whatever you ask of me, Lord, yes. But then when that line gets exposed, ooh, ooh, that's tough. That's hard when that line becomes a lot clearer to us because we all have a line. Jonah had a line. You and I have a line in our lives. You see, at an auction, you'll only go so far on an item that you want, right? You're only going to go so far on that item because you have attached already a certain value to it. And maybe you'll squeak a little past that value if you really want that item. But ultimately, before you even start the bidding, you've already placed a value on that item based on a bunch of different factors. Based on what you think you can do, you know, what you should do, what's responsible to do, you know, how bad you want it, how much is it worth to you, all these things. And then when the auction begins, when it gets to that point, you're like, oh boy, here's my line. And then it just ticks a little bit above it and you go, I'll go just a little bit more. And then it keeps going above it and then somebody just blows it out of the water and takes it up another $500 or $1,000 and you're like, I'm out, right? <laughs> like, because what happened in that moment? Your line got exposed. Your boundary, your lid, it all got exposed in that moment. I said I wanted this, but I didn't want it that bad. And that's what Jesus is trying to get us to understand in the text we just read in Luke chapter 14 is that there are lines that we have in our lives. And there are other stories throughout the Gospels that we see when Jesus would call people to come and follow him. And they would be willing to go so far. Or they would put stipulations on Jesus. Like, okay, Jesus, like, I'm totally in, like, for real. But first, let me go handle all these other things. And Jesus is like, no, you, you, you don't understand what I'm worth. Because the thing that will make you continue to re dis disregard the price or the cost is the value you've attached to it. There are some things in life that you'll just go, no, I'll... I'll pay whatever price is necessary. I'll exhaust every resource that I have and then some because the value is so great. And that's really the core of what Jesus is trying to expose. He's not trying to put a bunch of rules and regulations on us and make us feel bad. He's trying to get us to be confronted with the question of how valuable is Christ to us? How truly valuable is he? Because how much would I be willing 
to pay, how far would I be willing to go? Because Jesus set the tone of how valuable we are to God, amen? Because he gave everything. He gave his own life. He, he, didn't, he didn't have someone take it from him. No, scripture says no man takes his life. He lays it down willingly and freely. He knew fully well what he was doing and why he was doing it. And he's showing us this value so we will understand the value that we're supposed to have in turn of a God who would go to those lengths for us. Now, Jonah was a prophet, and his name means dove, which is the national symbol of Israel. Jonah was a patriot. He was like the, the, the most, you know, just out, outlandish, out loud type of Israelite. He loved his people. He loved his nation. And he wore that proudly everywhere that he went. He, he loved his name and he loved that it was associated with his people. And he wore that very proudly. So therefore, when people would fight against the nation of Israel or the sworn enemies of Israel would try to come and do something, man, he took that very, very personally. And now here God is telling Jonah to go and speak to the Ninevites. These are the sworn enemies of Israel. And you've got this patriot going, uh, excuse me, uh, you got the wrong guy because I'm not going to go talk to my enemies. You see, he served during the reign of King Rehoboam II, which was actually an evil king. And get this, this is crazy when you look at this story holistically. Even though Israel was disobedient and the king was wicked, during that reign of that evil king, God still showed them mercy by giving them victory over their enemies. I just want to show this real quick. So we're just going to jump and rabbit trail, but it kind of connects too. So 2 Kings 14, 23 through 27, I'm just going to read it over here. In the 15th year of Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, began to reign in Samaria. And he reigned for 41 years, and he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which he made Israel to sin. He restored the border. Get this, even though this wicked guy, he restored the border of Israel from Labohamath as far as the sea of the Arabah, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke by his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet who was from Gath-Hefer. For the Lord saw that the affliction of Israel was very bitter, for there was none left, bond or free, and there was none to help Israel. But the Lord had not said that he would blot out the name of Israel from under heaven, so he saved them by the hand of Jeroboam, the son of Joash. So isn't this crazy? Isn't this, just think about the, the contrast of what's going on here. God saves Israel under wicked leadership. Normally this didn't happen. If you read the history of the kings, when there were, were uh, good, uh, God-fearing leaders in place, Israel did really well, and they were given victory. When there were evil, wicked kings that turned the nation towards evil and wicked things, they would always lose battles, and they would get enslaved, and they would just lose all kinds of things during those periods but not so of this period. This period, you got a wicked person in leadership and God still delivers the people anyways. So isn't that interesting? God shows grace to Israel and instead of them getting what they deserve, they get grace, they get victory, they get 
freedom. They get this military victory under this wicked king. And now God is speaking to the heart of Jonah. And he's saying, now I want you to go show grace by speaking a word to an evil people. Very interesting. When we meet Jonah, he's being commanded by God to do something very difficult. So let's go over to the book of Jonah and the first chapter. This is interesting um, as you're turning to Jonah because um, as you look at the story of Jonah, it's very short. And the other thing about Jonah, it's the only one of the prophetic books that is a story about a prophet. All of the other prophetic books are prophecies of the prophets, but Jonah is the only book that's really written about a prophet. And the only prophecy that Jonah gives in the entire book of Jonah is five words in Hebrew. He preaches a five-word sermon. Boy, you'd get out early and beat all the Baptists and the Lutherans to the lunch line, wouldn't you? <clears throat> like five-word sermon, man. Five-word sermon, and it causes um, repentance, as we know. So let's check out Jonah, chapter 1, verse 1, and let's read this chapter. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. So in that port city that he left out of, there in Joppa, the types of boats that were used during that period were these three-tiered boats that had 32 rowers, okay? And that's what these boats looked like that ported out of there that would take people that far. That's the only type of uh, ship during that time that could have taken them that far. So Jonah gets on board with at least a captain and 32 rowers on this three-leveled ship. And he goes down into the cargo hold, the deepest deck of this ship, because he's trying to get away. He's trying to hide. He's trying to do the same thing Adam and Eve did in the Garden of Eden when they sewed together fig leaves. They're trying to hide from God. They're trying to run from God because he knows that he is doing something that is sinful. And so he's going down into the boat. You're going to see this verbiage over and over again in this first chapter where he goes down. It's a, it's a, it's a way that the Hebrews were writing to say that he's going further away from what God has told him to do. He's going further and further. He keeps going down to the ship. He goes down to Tarshish. He goes down into the belly of the ship, into the deepest part of this boat. Verse 4, but the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. And then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came to him and said, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise and call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell to Jonah. So lots in the Bible, we don't fully know exactly what they were, but the best idea that we have is it had something to do with these black and white rocks, okay? 
So there would be a bunch of white pebbles or white rocks that would be in a bag or in a bucket of some sorts. And then you would have two or three black ones. And on the black rocks were carved in the words basically yes or no. And so it was like a game of chance. They would shake all this up and they would kind of roll it out. And if it landed your direction, then you're the one that was the problem, right? And so this was a game of chance, and it fell. God even used this thing to point out Jonah. Like God made the rocks roll the right way, even though there was nothing powerful or mystical about these rocks. It was just some superstition that people used back in those days. It was still something God used to say, yep, it's him. I see you, Jonah. I see you. (laughs) And they're like, well, this is the guy. Uh, I read a lot of commentary in preparation for this message on Jonah in general, and a lot of scholars believe that Jonah was literally the only passenger on the ship. Um, because the, it, it's historically believed and accepted that Jonah was a very wealthy guy. And so he would have had the money to be able to afford this solo journey. So he just cashed in all of his chips, jumped on the boat, because the captain is going, who else is on board that could be a problem? And he just goes after one guy. And so that's kind of where that belief comes from. Maybe that's true, maybe it isn't. But either way, the captain singles this guy out, and then God singles him out. And now they all see that Jonah is indeed the problem. Verse 8, then they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us, and what is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? And all this is happening while there's like this big storm, and they're just yelling out all these questions, you know, at Jonah. And he said to them, I'm a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, well, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. He just said, my God made the heaven and the seas and the earth. And like, so the sea, all this stuff that's going on, yeah, it's, it's, it's me. <laughs> then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more um, tempestuous. Oof, that was, I think I made it through that one. He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea and the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. So stop right there. Oh, Jonah, 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 Jonah. (laughs) Jonah comes up with a great plan on the spot. His adrenaline's pumping. He's freaking out, man. And he knows God sees him, right? He tried to hide in the ship. He tried to hatch this elaborate plan, and he knew he couldn't run away from God. And here, God is going to have his way, and God is going to show mercy to who he shows mercy to. And he's wanting to use Jonah to go and preach a message of judgment to these people so that they can have the opportunity to repent. And Jonah does not want to do it. He does not want to do it. These are his sworn enemies. These are the people of Nineveh. These are the capital city of Assyria. These people were notoriously wicked. The things that they did, there was over 200 years of uh, torture and enslavement There are tons of um, ancient uh, uh, tablets and things that have been unearthed from this period about the Assyrians and the evil atrocities that they committed against all sorts of different people. And just uh, to save your, your, your stomachs, I'm not going to tell you what all they did, but they were very, very wicked and evil people and did some of the most heinous things that you could do to other human beings. And Jonah knows all this really well because it was probably some of his friends and family who had been captured, beaten, tortured, killed. 
people that he cared about very much. And he's this patriot. He's, he, his name means dove, right? I love Israel. I love God. I'm a prophet. I don't, I, I, I'll do anything for God, but I won't, I won't, I won't do that. I'm not going to go that far. And now here God says, I see you, Jonah. Jonah outs himself, and then he comes up with a great idea. Just kill me. Jonah, th- Jonah thinks in this moment, it's better to die than to go preach to these people. Jonah thinks that if you just throw me overboard, well, this storm's so bad, I'll die. I don't have to go preach. So if God wants to do it, he can use somebody else. But hey, at least it wasn't me. At least I don't have that mark in my family, you know, lineage, and people won't know I'm the one who's responsible for going and preaching this message to these people who will most likely repent. And so he thinks death is better. And he thinks he can still run from God, even by having them throw him into this storm in the sea. Verse 13, nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more um, tempestuous, tempestuous against them. So these guys are going, we don't want to kill you, Jonah. We don't want to kill you. They, they, that was not something they wanted. They wanted, we can make it back to land. Come on, guys. Heave ho, right? 32 guys just giving it everything they've got. Like, you know, they're tapping into that second win, you know. Let's go. And they can't. They just can't do it. Therefore, they called out to the Lord. So now you've got these guys who aren't even people that serve the Lord God of Israel. Now they're crying out to God. <laughs> oh, Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and not lay and lay not on us innocent blood for you, O Lord, have done as it has pleased you. So they're like, okay, we're getting to that point where we're ready to kill him. But like, God, if we kill him, like, please don't hold us responsible for it, right? So they picked up Jonah and they hurled him into the sea and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. I bet they did. (laughs) I'd be making vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. So even in his running, God still made a way of safety for Jonah because God was going to have his way. Isn't this interesting? You see, Jonah's line was exposed. He did not want to obey God. He did not want to do this thing, but God had a plan, and Jonah could not outrun the plan of God. Here we get to see what's really important to Jonah, and I think that this is a great lesson for us because the way that this prophetic book was written was not as much to be filled with prophecies to be interpreted, but rather a lesson for us to learn from the life of the prophet and the decisions that he's made. And as we're asking ourselves what we read earlier, was Jesus really serious? Like, what if he really was when he said that we are to pick up our cross and follow him? What if he was really serious when he said there's nothing greater than him and that he's truly worth following and willing, and and he's worth us being willing to lay down everything for him? Because what we value drives our decisions. And our decisions are going to determine our direction, but it starts with my value system. Because what I value is going to drive those things. It's going to drive how we make decisions. We just finished a series here at BCC going through our church's core values. 
And part of the reason that we wanted to go through that series of teaching these core values is because we want to know these are the things that help drive our decisions. Scripture is where we start, right? Relationships, those are our priority. Generosity is our lifestyle. Devotion is our identity. And transformation is our pursuit. We're, we, we taught those things because we want those things to be reflective of what drives our decision-making as a church and as Christ followers. So that as we move forward into the future, that those things help anchor us and navigate us and guide us. And here we see Jonah's value system changes very drastically because something gets exposed. He probably thought he was really devoted to God. He probably thought he was a really good prophet doing a really good job. And he probably thought he didn't have a line until God said, here's your line. I'm going to show you your line and I'm going to ask you. God could have asked anyone else to do it and there would have been like, None of this business going on. It could have just been a smooth thing. Yes, Lord, here I go. Hey, Ninevites, here's the deal. You know, okay, we repent. All works out. Woo, done. God could have picked that kind of a prophet. But he instead chose Jonah. He chose the guy that was like the one you wouldn't have really picked. Like who really cares about the Assyrians? Hmm, let's see. Uh, Jonah probably hates them the most. I'll pick him. Because God's not only trying to do something in the hearts of the Assyrians there in Nineveh, he's trying to do something in the heart of Jonah. He's trying to do something in his heart as well. Oftentimes when God asks you to do something that makes you uncomfortable, it's not just for those who are on the receiving end, it's for you as well. He's trying to develop something in you. He's trying to expose lines in your life because we all have those lines. And he's trying to show us those things so we can make that decision in that moment. Is valuing Christ greater than me holding on to this bitterness, this unforgiveness, this thing that happened in the past, or this trophy that I've been carrying around, or this re relationship, or this addiction, or, or th this, this, this thing that I've just been uh, keeping so much of my identity wrapped up in? And we're faced with that when we see it, and it gets exposed. And is Jesus worth more than that? Is Jesus more important? Well, you know, I, I just need some me time. Is Jesus more important? Oh, you know, I, I deserve this. Is Jesus more important? Oh, I, I feel like I need this or I need that. Is Jesus more important? And when we get faced with that, we have to make that decision just like Jonah did because those values drive our decisions and our decisions determine our direction. All disobedience. All disobedience is rooted in selfishness. All of it. When our line is uncovered, that's when we get to see if we think that Jesus was actually serious about the cost to follow him. Because a lot of us don't want to avoid difficulty and inconvenience. We really, really, really like things being convenient, right? I mean, we spend a lot of money to make things convenient. Can I tell you that this summer... The driver's side window of my truck decided to quit rolling down. My air conditioner does not work. It's an old truck. That was inconvenience. We had a few hot days this past summer. And there's this humidity thing in Iowa that living in Wisconsin, I just, I just forgot about that that was, you know a little bit further south, and I got to experience that without an AC in my truck. And so on those days where I had to drive my truck and I couldn't convince my wife to take it instead, 
And the worst part was when I had to go to the drive-thru. Well, that wasn't the worst part. That was actually fun. Taking my kids to the drive-thru when your window won't roll down and you just like got to open it like, hey, I'll take two burgers and fries and yep, yep, okay. And then you go to the front and you like open it up and I feel obligated to tell them the story that my, my window doesn't roll down. They don't care. But my kids are just like, oh my gosh. It was fantastic. I did eventually get it fixed. A buddy of mine fixed it for me. But at the same time, that was inconvenient. And I was willing to pay to get that fixed because we all like convenience. We all think it's inconvenient when things don't go our way or don't work like they should. And things don't go the way that we want them to. And so we try to get our way as much as possible. But sometimes getting our way is not the priority, and instead we're rooted in selfishness and it causes us to actually disobey because we're not willing to inconvenience ourselves because we think we're entitled to convenience. We think that we're entitled to getting our way. We think it should always go our way, and when it doesn't, I want to know why. I want answers and I want them now. But yet the things Christ calls us to are things that are going to inconvenience us. He called Jonah to something that was very inconvenient. Wouldn't you agree? If you're Jonah, yeah, that's pretty inconvenient. I don't want to do that. And he was running from it because of the line that was exposed. But avoiding difficulty or avoiding inconvenience for the sake of self-preservation or comfort, here's what it does, and this is the dangerous part. It causes us to justify our sin in so many ways. We begin to justify our actions or our inactions. And it's really us justifying our sin of disobedience. When you know what God is calling you to do, when you know that that inconvenience that you're supposed to step into on purpose, you know it's God and you know it's what he wants you to do. But man, it doesn't make sense. And man, you'd rather things go a lot smoother and easier for you. But you know it's going to be tough. But he calls you to it anyways. And you say, okay, Lord, yes. It's hard, you've just exposed my line, but you know what, Lord, you're worth more, and so I'm going to cross that line. I'm going to step into that thing, Lord, even though I know it's going to be tough, because I know the truth, that even when I step into difficulty on purpose, even when I step into inconvenience on purpose, he'll never leave me or forsake me, amen? How many times have you been moved by God in a moment to do something, and you talked yourself out of it, because you rationalized it? Maybe you heard a story about children that were in dire need and, and maybe there was a sponsorship opportunity or something like that. You were moved with compassion. And you look at your spouse as you do every time that that speech is given. And you say, we should do something about that. Uh, but maybe not right now. <laughs> you hear about a need where people need time. They just need people to, to be with them or they need volunteers or they need help over here or there. Oh, we should do that. Well, you know, I mean, when it works out for us. And you feel maybe even God leading you to make a phone call or to do something for someone that it stretches you and you go, oh, I should do that. And in the moment, you're, you got the feels like, you're like, yeah, God is speaking to me and you just talk yourself out of it. We do this all the time. I should forgive this person, and then I talk myself out of it. I should, I should try to mend these bridges, and then I talk myself out of it. I should give, I should serve, I should say yes to this greater thing, and, and I talk myself out of it. That's what happens when that line is exposed and the selfishness kicks in. 
It's self-preservation. I don't want to do something inconvenient. I don't want to do something that's going to cost me anything. But what if Jesus was serious when he said there was a cost? What if Jesus was serious when he said that following me is not going to be easy because you're going to have to die to yourself daily, as Paul said. You're going to have to crucify that selfishness because what Jesus is calling you to do and what he's commanded you to do is greater than that thing you're hanging on to for whatever reason that you're holding on to it for. We can justify it all day long, but I believe that obedience is better in the end. You see, when we justify our sin, it reveals a lack of teachability in us. Ooh, I don't like that. I don't even like that I said that. I wrote that in my notes, and I don't like that. Because I want to think of myself as teachable. I want to think I'm like the best at being humble, right? Like if there was like a trophy for winning best at being humble, I would want to win that trophy and just not tell anybody about it. But I would want to know in my heart. But it doesn't work that way, does it? That's a paradox. That doesn't work that way. Those two things don't work that way. Man, I want to be great at it, but it reveals my lack of teachability. Because when Jesus says something, if I'm not taking him seriously, then am I really teachable or do I just think I'm teachable? A lot of times we think that we can do something or we're good at something because we've done it in the past. I've been teachable in the past, so I just think I'm teachable until it comes something I don't want to be taught. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, uh, I go, well, I'm teachable because look at all the other things I, I've just humbled myself before the Lord in and all the, all the things I've said yes to the Lord in. I'm pretty good, especially compared to other people, right? And we shouldn't compare ourselves to one another. It's what is the Lord dealing with you about? Not as what is the Lord dealing with that person sitting next to you about. And if you're sitting here today or if you're watching online and you're thinking, man, so-and-so should be here to hear this, I tell you what, then I think you need to start with the man in the mirror. I'm asking him to change his ways. Shimon. You see, selfishness does this thing that Scripture tells us not to do. Scripture says, don't think more highly of yourselves than you should. Selfishness causes us to think more highly of ourselves than we should. Because I began to think of myself a whole, whole lot. And I began to think my ideas or my ways or my rationale is better than everyone else's. I began to think I'm the smartest person in the room. I began to read my own press clippings and believe them. I began to think that I am just, man, I'm, I'm, I'm a cut above everybody else. And when I began to think that, warning, danger, danger. I'm going to make bad decisions. I have to humble myself. That means I have to be willing to apologize. I have to be willing to say I'm sorry. I have to be willing to ask for forgiveness. I have to be willing to say, yeah, it was me. I have to be willing to say, Lord, whatever you want, whatever you want me to do, help me to be obedient. Help me to grow from this. Help me to learn from my mistakes. Help me to let go of those trophies of the past instead of always justifying and rationalizing everything. Because I want to humble myself and I want to serve you. You see, selfishness is the root of every church split. It's the root of all bitterness, the root of all unforgiveness, the root of all backbiting, gossip. It's the root of all of that. Because it's us thinking ourselves higher than other people. Us thinking our way. And the enemy loves for us to think about ourselves. 
because he doesn't want us to be unified. He doesn't want us to love each other and pursue unity and pursue transformation together. He doesn't want us to accomplish something great when we link arms and hearts together. He doesn't want us to be in one accord and, and serving God with one heart, one mind, and one voice as we see in the early church in the New Testament. He doesn't want us doing those things. So he tries to bring up any little selfish thing that he can. And I hope that today that line is being exposed so we can repent of it and so we can move forward and step into that thing that may be a little tough or maybe really tough. And it may be and probably will be inconvenient, but that we can say yes because we see the value of Christ greater than our line. Amen. Obedience to Christ equals humility. Here's your big idea for today. Our value of Christ determines the price we're willing to pay. Our value of Christ determines how much we're willing to pay. What are we willing to pay? What's the price? What's the line? Because here's the beautiful thing about what God did with Jonah, and I want you to catch this, because often we always want to just pick on Jonah, and yeah, I, I get it, Jonah made some mistakes, and I know he did some things wrong, but if you look at the heart of God, because as we look at any story in the scripture, always look for what, what did God do, always look at how did God respond, how did God react, God kept chasing Jonah down. Even in disobedience, God's mercy still chases us down. Isn't that a beautiful thing? Even when he was just willing to give up, throw me off the boat, I'm done, this is my way out. God says, nope, I'm not done with you. That fish that swallowed up Jonah was God's mercy. That fish was God's mercy saying, no, Jonah, I'm not done with you. I'm still pursuing you because I have something I want you to do. I know you don't want to do it, but I want your heart to be turned more like my heart. And I want you to see my heart. And he he showed his mercy to the people of Israel under the evil leadership of Jeroboam II. Gave them the victory when they didn't deserve it, man. When no other king who was evil saw that type of victory. But yet God gave him mercy and now he's taken that same prophet who served that king and who spoke to that king. And who had, had, had seen God give them this victory. And now God's saying, okay. I gave you when you were wicked this victory and now I want you to go give an evil people a word for me so they can have this opportunity to experience my mercy. And Jonah says no. And God wouldn't take no for an answer. Because God said, no, Jonah, I want you to value me more than anything else and obey me. Because obedience and love go hand in hand. Obedience and humility go hand in hand in hand. God continued to show mercy to Jonah even when he'd rather die than obey God. God sent a great fish. God kept providing opportunity after opportunity and we're going to see as we continue in this story over the next couple weeks that we're going to see God's mercy still at work because God wanted to show mercy to Jonah's enemies. The Gentiles, these wicked people, God wanted to show his heart. And Jesus said there is a cost. I want to ask you this morning, what line is God exposing today that you keep running from? I want to read one more scripture before we go. Over in the book of John, chapter 21, there at the very end, Jesus has risen from the dead and he appears to his disciples. And you remember Peter? We talked about Peter a lot last week. As Pastor Taryn used Peter as kind of that figure to understand transformation. Peter denied Jesus three times and now here's 
Jesus sitting on the shore and the disciples are out there fishing again after Jesus had given them a command to be fishers of men and now they're out there fishing for fish again and they're just where's Jesus what's going on and and then Peter sees from a distance someone that looks like Jesus and he just jumps out of the boat and just gets his tunic all just soaked and wet and he's just running through the water and he's just trying to get to Jesus he's so excited to see him and then I imagine somewhere in his excitement of running to see Jesus he remembers oh no he was right when when he said that I was going to deny him and I told him I wouldn't and then my line gets exposed and and I did deny him and oh man I hope he forgot about that (laughs) and Peter runs up to him and this is what happened John 21 verse 15 when they had finished breakfast Jesus said to Simon Peter Simon son of John do you love me more than these he said to him yes Lord you know that I love you he said to him feed my lambs He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. And then he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Okay. He said, Peter was grieved. And he said to him a third time, he he said, yes, Lord, you, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, well, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and used to walk wherever you wanted, but when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This was to be said to show what kind of death he was to die to glorify God. And after saying this, he said, follow me. So here Jesus restores this man who had just denied him just a few days earlier, denied ever knowing him, even cussed a lady out, you know. And now here he is interacting with Jesus again. And Jesus, in his mercy, he says, okay, Peter, now that your line's been exposed and now that you've seen that I am who I said I am and now that you know that this is real and now that you remember me calling you, I want to ask you, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Three times, just as three times you denied me, three times I asked, do you love me? And the third time Peter is grieved because he's going, what's going on here? Because Peter was a little slow at getting the point sometimes. What do, you, what do you mean? And Jesus said, okay, the reason I'm asking you this, not only am I restoring you, but I'm going to let you know it's going to take that love that you have for me to help you persevere because I'm going to ask you to follow me one more time. Because your life is going to be destined to end in a death that you don't want because people are going to take you where you don't want to go. And they're going to they're kill you, Peter, and you're going to die for me for my sake, for my name. And he basically gives him this prophetic word. And then after saying, hey, you're gonna die for preaching the gospel and for doing the things I commanded you to do. So follow me. (laughs) And we know that Peter did because that line had been erased. But before the line can be erased, it has to be exposed. So I wanna leave you with this question same question that Jesus asked Peter whatever your line is that's been exposed son daughter of God do you love Jesus more than that do you love Jesus more than that because there's a cost is he more valuable because our value of Christ determines the price we're willing to pay God help us to serve you to love you, to give you everything because you're worth it. In Jesus' name.